Father, we come and just, we simply quiet our hearts now, and we come uh, indeed by the mercies of God, and we come based on the mercy that we have known uh, in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, and we come with him as our hope, and, and I know all of us here uh, have different things going on in our lives, and just pray that as we come, we would come uh, with a heart uh, in submission to you as living sacrifices, uh, holy and acceptable to you, uh, which would be our spiritual worship, that we would not see a disconnect between the singing of praises to you as worship and now the hearing of your word as worship. And so may we receive your word as we turn to it now. We pray for your grace, for your glory uh, to be made uh, abundantly evident and that you would be with me, uh, who is sufficient for these things. And it is by your grace that I am coming as well. And so pray that you would just be with me, Father, and be with us as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The English Bible translator, William Tyndale, he once Noted was noted to have said uh, these words about pleasing God. He wrote, there, are, there is no work better than to please God. To pour water, to wash dishes, and to be a cobbler or an apostle, all are one. To wash dishes and to preach are all one as touching the deed to please God. Well, in our passage this morning, we are being called to be a scripture-grounded, Godward, God-pleasing people. Amen. We are being spurred on to know God and please Him to the uttermost. So, both of which, I pray you would even now coming, as we uh, before we turn to the Word, uh, you come saying, Lord, yes, that is what I want. Do your work in me. And you can even pray that in your heart right now that you would be coming to the Word of God with such a heart, with such a mind, and with such a demeanor as we turn to the Word. And so last week, what we did is we, we took our first steps into the letter of Colossians, or to the Colossians. And so this morning we continue with verses 9 through 14 of the first chapter of this Amazing Christ-centered and Christ-exalting letter. So, as I've seen you already are turning there, if you haven't already, uh, turn with me and may the Lord bless the reading of His trustworthy and sure word. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen, indeed. That is the Word of God. So following Paul's greeting and his prayer that we saw last week in verses 1 through 8, uh, the verses before us here are a continuation of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. So first, let us be reminded of the, of the work of God that he was doing there among the Colossians. And so first, let us behold and take a moment to behold the work of God. So God was, he was doing incredible things among the Colossians. You know, the, the gospel, it was going out and it was bearing fruit. You know, a gospel fire had broken out and its flame was burning strong and it was even growing. So Paul, he would have this fire not be extinguished. He would, what would he do? He would fan the flame. And how did he fan the flame? Well, he prayed. And so he writes here in verse 9, And so, from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you. He fanned the flame. He interceded for the Colossians. He sought God that the work of God would continue. Now in the midst of the work of God, it isn't, you know, time to say, well, I guess we're done here. (laughs) The goal has been reached. Mission accomplished. That is not to be our response when God is at work. No, the work is not done yet. We are to press on in the work. And so Paul, he prays, and he did not cease to pray, Lord, bring more, do more for your glory. And so when you see God work, don't stop working. Keep at it. Keep on. Press on and pray, and pray persistently. I remember reading once the account of a missionary from India. He had come to America. It was the first time coming to America. And he he was excited because he was going to a rather big church and with a faithful preacher of the word. Uh, The church loved the word and preached the word. And so he was excited. And he came and he enjoyed the service. And he heard of uh, the prayer meeting that would follow the week to come. And so he decided he would come and he would attend the church's prayer meeting. And when he arrived, you know, he expected to see what he had seen back home in India. You know, he expected to see a people expectant, to see a people on their faces before God. He expected seeing people praying urgently and persistently and longing for God and for Him to work. And he expected not an hour, but he Expected, indeed, even hours ahead, even into 5 a.m. the next morning, if it needed be so, to keep praying that the God, that God would work. And he was sorely disappointed to find the actual time sprint in prayer was only a few minutes. Let me say, if we want to see God work, and if we want to, want that work to persist, we need not cease laboring that in persistent prayer. Lord, do your work. And may we be a people who are like that and pray, God, do your work. We want to see it happen. We want to see you save sinners. We want to see you change me. We want to see you change the world for your glory. 
But what is the content of Paul's prayers here? He didn't cease to pray for them, but what did he pray? We need to take note of this because what follows here informs the continuation of the work of God. So his, his prayer and our exhortation is this, that we would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That's his prayer. Now, this is not, you know, he's not talking about God's hidden will. This is not giving us permission to make a God of our liking. It's not masquerading our will in the place of God's will. This is not encouraging us to a mystical, subjective view of God's will, nor is it about us molding God to fit our subjective experiences. No, Paul is praying that the Colossians would really know God's will. Not as something mysterious and beyond them, but in truth. In other words... He wants us to know God's will because we can know God's will. How? Well, through God's revealed will and God's word. But this word, it has a trajectory. It is from beginning to end, centered upon, and it is directing us to His Son. Hence, being filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding is bound to Christ. So Paul, he writes in chapter 2 of Colossians, you can turn there if you like, he says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we cannot know His will apart from His Son. And so, let me urge us then to dive deep into God's Word. The Old Testament and New Testament make up a tapestry with Christ interwoven into every thread. Let us gladly saturate ourselves with this whole book. We are to press on to maturity and knowing God's will through God's word. Amen. Now, as, you know, babes in Christ, you know, we begin on the shallow end of the pool. You know, and we are there for a time. We are learning and we learn much there. You know, I did. But you are not meant to stay on the shallow end of the pool. You are meant to learn to swim. There's a time for being on the shallow end, but God wants us to grow. He wants us to press on toward growth. He wants us to become mature. So here at Haven... We want you to grow. We want you to learn what it means to walk uh, through this world. Uh, we want you to learn to follow Christ and to navigate the complexities of this world with His Word. We want us to walk together for the Gospel. 
So our Sunday school time is aimed at this. Our Sunday mornings are aimed at this. Our Sunday and Wednesday evenings are aimed at this. And our home groups are aimed at this as well. And here are ways that Haven wants to spur you on in Him that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But knowing is insufficient if it is not followed by what follows. Paul, he gives us the purpose of this prayer. The purpose of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. He writes, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now this may sound problematic. (laughs) I've been part of some churches where a statement like that, we're like, well, no, that's, that's, that's legalism, you know. Well, you know, let me just say, honestly, it indeed be problematic for some of you here. If you hear this statement and you think, now I must make myself worthy enough for God. I must do something so that He will accept me. If that is what, how you receive that verse, well then that is problematic. If you hear this is saying, well, I need to earn God's favor. I need to do something before He will accept me. I need to be in the church whenever the doors are open. I need to be here. I need to do everything that I can so that one day, hopefully, He will accept me into His kingdom. Well, that is problematic. If that's the way we are understanding that passage. Why? Well, first and foremost... Because this is not what the verse means. And second, this is indicating a greater misunderstanding that is deadly. This is not about your worthiness. You are not worthy of God. None of us are. In fact, we are deeply, devastatingly unworthy. We are sinners. We are Rebels, we are lost, we are separated from God. There is none good, not even one, Romans says. So all of our deeds are stained like filthy rags with sin and rebellion. And so this is not about your worthiness. Neither is this about your legalism. Paul is not saying... Do this and God will accept you. That's wrong as well. Salvation is unearnable. Let me repeat that. Salvation is unearnable. Sin, it does earn us something, and that is death. You know, I remember preaching at a Health and Rehabilitation Center in Louisville, Kentucky, a number of years ago, and, and there was an older man there who came to the services. And, you know, this man, he would sit quietly during the, the service, and he would listen, you know, respectfully, until I began preaching on the gospel. And I did what I do here. I, I was preaching through books of the Bible, and and that instance, I was preaching through James, and every time, without fail, he would interrupt rather abruptly and ask, what in the world are you talking about? I have never heard that before in all my years in church. 
And I learned that he had been going to a church for 30 to 40 years and had never heard the gospel. He thought he was good with God because he had faithfully went to church. That is what gained him favor with the Lord. But no good deeds, no amount of what you do can help you here. But there is help. And there is hope to be had, and that is in Christ. Amen. So cease. If you heard that statement before, verse uh, verse uh, 10 here, and you heard that, and you think, I need to be worthy enough. I need to gain God's favor. favor. Cease looking to yourself and look to the Son. Look to Jesus. He is the one who is worthy. And He is the one who has purchased for you a salvation that is all of grace, unearnable, but given through faith in Him. It's not in you and it's not of you. It's in Him and it's from Him. It is in Him. Your muddy, sin-stained self is made clean, forgiven, and saved. Amen. And you may be here and your endless efforts to be worthy enough to earn God's favor have left you tired, have left you exhausted, and have left you hopeless. Well, friend, you know, Jesus calls the unworthy and the weary alike to come to him and he will give you rest. Now, with this appropriate correction in mind, I want to urge you then, who know Christ, to unreservedly be about pleasing Him. (laughs) We are told to. Your being filled with the knowledge of God is for this purpose, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. Paul gives us here then four ways for us to do this. What what does this look like? What does pleasing Him look like? He gives us four ways. First, we are told to please Him by bearing much fruit. William Tyndale again, he loved the truth that we are justified by faith alone, but also loved doing good works for the kingdom of God. He wrote, My part be not in Christ, if mine heart be not to follow and live according as I teach. It was written of him, of Tyndale, that his weekly schedule went something like this. On Mondays, he would go and he would visit uh, religious refugees from England. On Saturdays, he walked Antwerp's streets, ministering to the poor. On Sundays, he dined in merchants' homes, reading scripture before and after dinner. And the rest of the week, he wrote tracts, books, and translated the Bible. He was a man who was about bearing good fruit. And so, you also be zealous for good works. And if you, if you think that's odd, Titus, he commands us, be zealous for good works. And so it is good to be purposefully, unashamedly, zealously walking in good works, doing good, because you take joy in pleasing your master. 
So let me ask, what work needs to be done for his kingdom? I am but one man, but this work is not dependent on one man. We are the body of Christ, a people who God has gifted and called to serve him. So what can we do for his kingdom? Man, to behold the work of God at Haven, like the work of God with the Colossians. Faith going out throughout the world. Or, rather, where can we start a good work where it's not being done? The needs are numerous and the needs are many. And as you see a need, be glad to seek to meet it for the glory of God, applying this passage. Because you know Christ, you bear fruit in every good work. Second, we are told to please Him by growing and knowing our God. For the second time now, we are meant to see a connection here. So, knowledge and life are to be connected together. Faith and action bear fruit and grow in knowing God. Grow in knowing God and bear fruit. He even, if you see the connection even further, Paul, he he wants the work of God to continue. So he's saying, know the Word. And in knowing the Word, bear fruit, pleasing God, and you will see the work of God continue. So it is tied directly to maturity. Believers maturing in their faith. Satan, he has a ploy here. He has a tactic. I've seen it many times, and I'm sure you have as well, that he uses to keep believers from pressing forward. His ploy is this. Why don't you just stay where you are? You know, Remain in the shallow end of the pool. It's fine if you you drink milk and you are a baby for the rest of your life. Hey, you know, all this talk about knowing God, knowing the Bible, leave that to other people. You just, you stay on that shallow end. You're fine. Other people will do the work. Just keep coasting along. He would have us stay babes in Christ. Let me ask you, when have you met a baby who was 40 years old? I haven't met one. (laughs) A literal baby. Uh, Some of you are thinking, well, (laughs) I've met maybe maybe some. What's unusual if you don't grow physically, so also if you don't grow spiritually. So don't listen to him. Know your Bible. Know your God. And let us live it out for His glory. Let the gospel progress and fruit abound. Be zealots for good works. And that is right. Cast Satan's ploy aside and let us do the work. Because there is certainly much work to be done. Instead, know your God. Delight in Him. Think about the people you are closest to. You know, do you know them better because you're close to them? Your spouse? Or do you know them less because 
that you're close to them? Well, you know them more because you're close to them. I mean, how shameful it would be for you to be married for 30, 40 years to someone, I don't, I don't even know who this person is. Well, may we know our God well then. Let us gladly know him and be amazed in the knowing. Third, we are told to please him by growing and living according to his spirit-wrought power. It is when we have God as our refuge that the tremors and the quakings of this world, they move much, but they don't move us. We endure. We are patient. We are glad in him because we are not self-wrought, self-standing, self-sufficient people, but a self-denying, dependent people. Hence, we need to embrace the call to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this well. He said, Christ bids a man come and die. And that is where we will find this power, his strengthening and a joy that is in him who truly satisfies. So many things around us want us to magnify self when God and Jesus is contently telling us, deny yourself and follow me. He bids a man come and die. And you will see the work of God. The last way we are told to please him is by glorying in the gospel. By glorying in the gospel. So consider these truths Paul, he lays out here. He has, the Father has qualified you for this imperishable, undefiled, un fading inheritance. He has delivered you from the devil's clutches. He has made you part of Christ's indomitable kingdom. He has satisfied your debt and he has forgiven your sins. And there, my friends, are reasons for glorying in the gospel. And glorying like that, it pleases him. Therefore, May we gladly make it our pursuit. And may you make it your pursuit to please Him. So leave here making it your pursuit to please Him and no other. We are told to know and please Him, so know and please Him to the uttermost. Amen. Let's pray.